0: turn over to the book of jeremiah the book of jeremiah and turn over to jeremiah chapter number 38 um <clears throat> i traditionally don't preach long and uh uh and so uh, in fact i heard about this preacher he'd been at the same church for for 30 been at the same church for 30 plus years 31 years and every sunday he would get up he preached 20 minutes he'd, he'd give his illustrations he would do what he was supposed to, you know and, and at the end he would give the altar call and and i mean 22 23 minutes max i mean every i mean for 30 years you could set the clock by 20 minutes one sunday he he got up and preached two hours and 45 minutes I mean no one could believe it I mean they'd never heard him preach this long and and so one of the deacons came up to him and said now preacher like it was a great sermon like it was biblical it was expositional it was contextual like everything was there but why did you preach over two hours today when we're used to 20 minutes he said well as you know I have false teeth and I was getting ready this morning with my wife and I put her teeth in by mistake and at 20 minutes I couldn't get them stopped and um <laughs> So this morning I have my teeth in. They're not my wife. My wife Kim is here and uh, hopefully we'll still be happily married after this and uh, for 24 years. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm just excited uh, to be here this morning. I stayed over at the Beena house. It was awesome. And I uh, thank you for the place to stay, the kindness. I went out to dinner with pastor last night and uh, it was awesome. Thank you for the giant fruit basket in there. It had apples and oranges and, and it had some cigars and some uh, Jack Daniel shots uh, in there. It was just awesome. No, I'm just kidding about the apples and oranges, but it was a great basket, and uh, so we're feeling ready to preach this morning. And uh, the Lord has uh, the Lord has brought us together. I know for a reason. And this morning, I just want to be an encouragement to you. I, I want to encourage you and uh, and be a help and a, and a strength to you. And, and in the in the in the early service, I literally I just wanted you to know that I do have a suit coat. But I literally sweated all the way through my suit coat and it's still damp from the early service. So I'm going to take it off and hopefully you will forgive me for that. My dad, you know, my dad, he can get by with saying anything. Uh, And my dad always says, if you think this coat ought to be worn, come wear it. So that was his statement. I'm not going to say that, but if you'll give me that liberty, I think I could preach just a little bit quicker for you and get you to dinner before uh, the Methodists get there. So uh, if you found your place in Jeremiah chapter number 38, can I hear an amen? Okay, let's stand, if you would, out of respect for the reading of God's word. We're just going to read one verse. Now, keep your Bible, your phone, your tablet, your Apple Watch, whatever you're using today. Keep that open um, because we are going to be going all around through the book of Jeremiah. We're going to come back and read some more of this chapter. But I want to read just one verse here to get a springboard into our sermon today. So look at verse number six. The Bible says, then took they Jeremiah, they cast him into the dungeon of Melchai." the son of uh, uh, Hamalek, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. Now, now the sermon today is just this simple. I, I, the, the sermon is this. Don't quit when you're in the pit. Don't quit When you're in the pit, because sometimes life may be a bowl of cherries, but you're always finding yourself in the pits. Have you ever been there? And so today I hope that if you're in a dark place, if you're in a dreary place, if you're you're in a place where you are depressed and discouraged and downhearted, today you'll be able to find some hope. I certainly love your preacher, and I'm honored to be here today. I love, I love Brother Dave. In fact, about three years ago, we had Brother Dave come and preach at our church, and it's taken about three years for our church to get over it. And so we're thinking about scheduling him again, maybe here in the next three or four years to see if we can make it. But no, it is my privilege to be here. But if you'll give me your attention, and if you'll give me your heart for just the next few minutes, I want to encourage you from God's Word on how not to quit when you find yourself in the pit. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, Lord, I pray that I would clearly deliver what you've put upon my heart. God, may it not be a sermon, but, Lord, may it be a message, a message directly from heaven to this congregation and to these people. Lord, I pray that I could encourage the church of my friend, Brother Tony. And, Lord, I pray that I could encourage the church of the living God. Oh, Lord, this upon this rock, Lord, you're building your church upon Jesus. We are founded. And so, Lord, I pray that I could be an encouragement. Lord, we know that all would be vain unless the Holy Spirit come down and meet with us today. And so, God, I pray you would send your spirit. And, Lord, I pray that you would walk up and down the aisles, convict the hearts. And, Lord, I pray that you would stir us today, but not just stir us. God, I pray that you would change us. All this we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. You can be seated. We find Jeremiah being dropped down in a pit. And the amazing thing about this, if you read that verse of scripture, it says, and they let down Jeremiah. Now this isn't part of the sermon. This is just in the army, what we call free chicken. And uh, I'm still in the United States Army. I'm a captain there and I'm a reservist now. I was active for uh, several years and deployed and everything else. But I, c- I can tell you that there's some letdowns in life. There's some times in life that you can find yourself being let down. And if you walk with the Lord very long, there's going to be some letdowns. And re- regardless to what the, the television says and the and the radio preachers, I told him in the early service, I, 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 heard a, I heard a guy one time on the radio say, I've been saved 10 years and I've never even had a headache. Well, number one, we know he's lying. And number two, we know he's not married or he'd have a mother-in-law and that would not be that story. Can I tell you that sometimes we have some letdowns and it will sometimes even surprise you who lets you down? Sometimes it's family. Sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's your feelings. Sometimes it's Christians. Sometimes it's other believers. I mean, we can be let down and we can be disappointed. But you see, that's part of the plan of the devil because the devil is in the sinking business. The devil wants to bring you down. The devil wants to sink your family. He wants to sink your home. He wants to sink this church. He wants to sink this country. He wants to sink everything about us. He wants to destroy us. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. The thief cometh not before us to kill and to steal and to destroy. But I'm glad for the second half of that verse because as equally as Satan is in the sinking business, Jesus is in the saving business. He says, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. So when you find yourself down in the pit, when you find yourself sinking in the mire, don't quit. You see Satan wants you to focus on what you don't have, what you used to have, or what others have instead of what God has already given you. He says, "I'm the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me." And if you have the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life, he's the door, he's our shepherd, he's our friend. If you've got that, you've got everything you need to go forward. But you see Jeremiah, he was one of the most hated prophets in all the scripture. In fact, Jeremiah spent more time in the prison than he did in the palace. Where's our prosperity preachers now? Where's the health and wealth? Just believe it. And and I know that doesn't work because I'm telling you, I've stopped by the Chevy dealership and laid my hands on a brand new LTZ 3500 truck because we live on a farm. I've laid my hands on it and named it and claimed it a lot of times and I'm still not driving one. Can I have an amen right there? It's not all uh, uh, dancing through the clouds when you walk with the Lord, but sometimes there is valleys. That's why even in the psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley. So we find here that he's facing storm after storm and problem after problem because Satan is trying to get him to quit while he is in the pit. And Satan uses several tactics by way of introduction that I want to give you this morning. First of all, he turned people against him. Can I tell you that if you live for the Lord long enough, and if you walk with the Lord long enough, and if you go for the Lord long enough, he will turn people against you. And sometimes it's even people that, that, man, they were so excited when you got saved. They were so excited when you started your walk with the Lord. They were so happy about that. But the problem is you got too saved for them. Like now all of a sudden you go Sunday morning and you go to groups and you go on Wednesday to this. And your kids go to the youth group and they've got youth activities. And, and, and I mean, your younger kids, they go, my, my kids used to call them iguanas. I don't know if you have iguanas here, but, but your kids go to iguanas. And now all of a sudden they're like, man, you're just too saved for us. He'll turn people against you satan is good at turning families against families and kids against parents and parents against kids and pastors against churches and church members against church members i mean that is satan's plan and that's why our families our churches and our relationships are falling apart because people are turning on each other the bible says that if we love god we will get along with the brethren in fact, in 1 John, he says that's one of the marks of a believer. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, we are laborers together with God. We're supposed to work together. We can do so much more if we will fight the devil on the same team. But sometimes we're fighting with each other instead of fighting the devil. Psalms 133 says this. It says, how good and pleasant is it when, when what? When brothers live together in unity, God wants us to work together. So I say, first of all, Satan's tactic to get you to quit is he'll turn people against you. Number two tactic that he uses to get us to quit is he torments our minds... Jeremiah, he, he was having some serious emotional battles. He was facing some serious emotional issues. And I, I'm just going to be honest. As a young preacher, I said a lot of dumb things. In fact, there were some cassette tapes of some early sermons that I preached. And some of you that are younger than about 25, I know you don't know what a cassette tape was. It was this real cool thing. It was square like this. And it had two holes and it had this tape stuff. And we used to play it in our cars. But we couldn't even rewind them or skip to the next song. You had to flip it over and fast forward it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Can I have an amen right there? Some of y'all that just say, man, probably also know what a record is or maybe even a laser disc. But there's some sermons that I've just put away and said, man, I don't want everybody, anybody ever to hear that because I, I, I can tell you that that sermon was wrong because I was just like, you know what? I mean, if you've got some kind of emotional problem, if you're depressed, you need to just read your Bible and get over it. Little did I know how foolish that statement was. You see, the problem is that emotional problems are nothing to laugh about in fact it's probably one of the most serious battles that we will ever face is the battle for our mind and i remember deploying and coming home and a lot of my buddies were dealing with ptsd and i was like guys you need to just get over it read your bible pray go to church and it's going to be fine i'm just going to be honest with you i'm just going to be transparent we're supposed to be in church right but i took my daughter to israel and so my daughter, for her senior trip, she wanted to go on a trip to Israel. She was my more spiritual one. My son that's 16, he wants to go to Alaska and kill a grizzly bear. My daughter, she wanted to go to Israel to the Holy Land. So you can see a little bit of difference between the two. And so my daughter and I are in Israel. And all of a sudden, I got into this, uh, down into the Palestinian parts of, of, of Israel that are controlled by the Palestinians who are down at Abraham's tomb and Isaac's tomb. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I'm telling you, I started having PTSD and the smells were the same as Afghanistan and the architecture is the same as Afghanistan and, and, <clears throat> and some of the, the, the Arab people that were there. I mean, they, they're, they're not happy that we're there. And, and man, all of a sudden, I, I remember looking at my daughter and I said, I'm, I'm about to, I mean, I was sweating. I thought I was going to die. I thought they were going to, I said, so they're going to try to kill us here in just a minute. And I, I, I mean, I was panicking. And I remember I had to go back to the Lord and I had to make some things right with the Lord and some other people that I'd said some really dumb things to. See, when I first started preaching, I was the, they, they said, Man, Brother Mark, he's just a cloud riding preacher. He's a glory preacher. I mean, he just gets up and, Wow, everything's good. Can I tell you that the clouds I used to ride, all of a sudden, those clouds started riding me? You can find yourself in a pit, and it's a pit of mental torment. I think about in chapter 20, he was so discouraged. He said, I cursed the day I was born. I cursed my parents for having me. I cursed my mama. I, he said, I wish I had died on the day of my birth. He, he said, I wish I had never lived. Satan will love to mess with your mind. The other day, a, a guy in my church, well-meaning guy, like didn't mean anything but He called me and he said, hey, Pastor Mark, we were talking. And he said, hey, so I need to tell you something. I was like, okay, what is it, Rocky? And he said, uh... He said, him and his wife, Adrian called. No, I'm just kidding. His wife's not Adrian, but okay. So none of you got that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm in a wrong generation here, but Rocky called me and he said, Hey, Pastor Mark. He said, uh, I heard the church is about to split and somebody's taking like 350 or 400 people, half the church, and they're going to go across town and start another church and they're going to rent this building. Like he had all this information. I was like, where'd you get that from? He said, "He named another church member. And I said, bro, I said, man, I don't know anything about that. I said, I think you're crazy. And by the way, no one left our church. In fact, the next Sunday we like had visitors there. The church was even, had a better service than than we usually did. And and so I I, I remember I went home and I thought, what if he's right? What if 400 people are going to leave? What if next week I've got half the church I've got now? What if people start leaving like crazy? What am I going to do? Ha, what's going to happen? And Satan started playing with my mind, but in Isaiah it says, "I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. We've got to keep our focus on the Lord. Don't quit in the pit, because if you let Satan into your mind, if you give him just an inch, he'll take a mile, and he will turn you into a Don Quixote where you're fighting a windmill and thinking that it's a giant. Pastor Tony, if there's one thing I can tell you, sometimes as a pastor, you'll have have a church of 700 people that attend, 1,500 members, and everybody loves you except for one. And that one person that that makes that comment that is unkind, that one person, you'll get so focused on that if we're not careful that Satan will run with that in our mind and we'll forget about the hundreds and the thousands that love us. It's the same way in your life. Keep your eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. we got to keep our eyes on Jesus or we'll quit in the pit. Number three, he just tried to get him to quit. He tried everything he could. I can remember being in military schools and they'd say, hey, if you'll just quit. I remember I was in sapper school and a buddy of mine got bit by a copperhead. And when he got bit by that copperhead, he got to leave the field. Now, we hadn't bathed in days. We hadn't eaten in days. We hadn't slept in days. And he got bit by a copperhead and he got to go to the hospital. He got to sleep. He got to shower. He got to eat jello. I mean, I was so jealous. He like came back 3 days later and I mean, he was like a brand new man. I mean, I'll never forget. I was like walking around in the rocks looking for a copperhead. I was like, I will open your fangs and I will jam you onto my hand. You will bite me. Man, the devil will mess with you. He will try to get you to quit. He will will lay things in front of you to try to distract you. And Jeremiah had just come in from a fresh day of prophesying. And he comes in and and he's so discouraged. He said, I'm done. I'm not going to preach no more. I quit. And that's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to quit serving. He wants you to quit going to groups, quit going to church. He wants you to quit serving on the music team. He wants you to quit teaching your community group he, 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 or Sunday school or, or, or with all the different cool names that we have for everything. He wants you to quit doing that, whatever it is. And you know what's crazy? It, it, it seems like sometimes the devil just has, has people that, that are going to come up and they're, they're, just, they're just ready to bring you down. I told him in the early service, I've had this happen a few times. People say, hey, Pastor Mark, I need to talk to you now. Now, look. If you come to Brother Tony, this is the best advice I'm going to give you as a church member all week when it comes to meeting with your pastor. If you come to one of your pastors and you're like, hey, I need to have a meeting, let them know that there's nothing wrong. Really? Otherwise, it's a miserable five days waiting on to meeting with you. I mean, I'm telling you, I've had this with my wife. Somebody comes up and goes, hey, I need to meet with you this week. And I'll look at Kim and I'm like, what kind of voice was that? Was that like the I'm going to leave the church voice or... You know, I'm gonna hate you forever, voice, or, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be a blessing voice, or I'm gonna, and I'm, and I'm, a, and I'm a, so when you have a meeting, just go, hey, Pastor Tony, there's absolutely nothing wrong. Everything's awesome. We love the church. We just wanna talk to you about so and so. Man, your preacher's like, you walk into the meeting, he's like, whoa, what's up? <laughs> but I've if if had him come up to me and say, uh, Pastor Mark, <clears throat> and they clear their throat for like 20 minutes. And then they say something like this. And this is their lead in line. Now, Pastor Mark, we love you. Man, when I hear that, I'm just like, mm, because I know it's coming next. But. And all of a sudden, somebody quits when they're in the pit. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to stop. Stop. Serving God. You say, but, but Pastor Mark, every time you preach, the, the people run down the aisle and fall on the altar and call out to God and say, i got to get saved. No, but guess what? I'm still going to get up and preach next Sunday, even if they didn't last Sunday. You say, why? Because the Lord made us the promise that his word will not return void. We just have to be faithful. We just have to preach the word. We just have to do what God wants us to do and let God give the increase You see, if you don't stay faithful and if you quit in the pit, your life is going to fall apart. I had a young man that I led to Christ. I ordained him. I helped him get into the ministry. I went and preached at his church. He was pastoring a church 20 miles one way from the closest gas station. I mean, it was so far out in the country they have to pipe sunshine in there. And he would run 150 people a weekend. I'm talking about there wasn't nothing out there but cows. Like, not a gravel parking lot, Brother Tony, a grass parking lot. And I've been out there in priesthood. We'd had 100, 150 people at a night revival. But you know what happened? He got discouraged. He quit in the pit. He gave up on God. He got out of church. He gave up his ministry. And then a few months ago, he's sitting in jail. And his life is forever changed. Don't quit in the pit. You say, well, how how do we how do we keep from doing that? I mean, I mean, brother Mark, I mean, I mean, chapter thirty eight. He's not just in a valley; he's in a dungeon. And I feel like I'm not just in a valley; I'm in a dungeon. And I, I mean, if the devil's trying to sink me, but God's trying to save me, and the devil's trying to destroy me, and God's trying to delight in me and trying to deliver me, and and the devil's doing this, how, how am I going to keep from quitting? I mean. Pastor Mark, have you seen the news lately? No, I would rather go watch like a serial killer documentary. It's more exciting than the news and less depressing. Come on. I mean, it's just just terrible everywhere you turn. But what? How do we keep from quitting? Let me give you three things that God used in Jeremiah's life. Here they are real quick. My sermons are like a fat man going through a barbed wire fence. Just a couple more points and we'll be through. So hold on. Number one. There's help in the brethren. There is help in the brethren. You say, now, 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 what do you mean? Is there help in all the brethren? Nope. It seems like there's some people that just like live to discourage you. I'm not kidding. I shake hands at my church. And I mean, uh, I I don't have a son that's in the same place as Brother Tony, and he he can't do that. But I mean, we're we're a handshaking church. In fact, the old women all hug me and kiss on me. In fact, that's one of the reasons I sweat so much when I preach is just to repel all the old women because my my face just runs with lipstick sometimes after church. We're in the South where we still say y'all and drink sweet tea. Are y'all with me so far? So I'm shaking hands, and there's some people that I know better than to ask them how they're doing. I don't I go glory to God sister bless your heart so good to see you today and I mean I run because if I don't I'm gonna hear for the next 30 minutes how I mean I'm gonna be so depressed I can't even preach can I tell you that there's some people that will not encourage you but thank God there's some that do yeah, there's some Demises. Yeah, there's some Alexander Coppersmiths. Yeah, there's some, some people that will forsake you and bail out on you and, and, and quit on you. But thank God there's some Lukes and, and there's some Timothys and there's some Tituses that stick closer than a brother. I, I'm, I'm glad that there's sometimes there's some people that I can go to and I can tell that I've got a problem and I can be real and last night I sat at dinner with your pastor, and I, I don't think you would have a problem with me saying this. And he looked at me a time or two, and he goes, now, I'm just going to say something, and I don't want you to think bad. I'm just going to tell you how I really feel. Preacher, you never have to apologize to somebody who loves you and say, I hope you don't take this wrong. Because when you love somebody, you're not going to take it wrong. Can I have an amen right there? There's help in the brethren. Man, I'm glad that there's some people who can encourage us and some people who can uh, lift us up when when we're struggling with things. It's sad that as I've studied the Bible, I think Job's friends were all definitely Baptist. So what did you do, Job? What sin did you commit for all this to happen? I mean, this was one of God's most choice servants. And these backslidden heathens are challenging him. I mean, he's the one that God said, I know he won't deny me. You can touch everything, but he's not going to give up on me. And in all this, Job charged not God foolishly, but his friends did. But I'm thankful that there's some hope in the brethren. Now, think about this, if you will. Look in your Bible, and and, and let's begin reading in about verse. Let's just start in verse 7. It says, now when Abimelech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs that was in the king's house, heard that they put Jeremiah in the dungeon. And the king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin. Abimelech went forth to the king's house and spake forth to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done in Jer- uh, to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is likened to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there's no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Abimelech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take up thence from thee thirty men with thee, and take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he die. Can I tell you that there's no lone rangers in God's army? No lone ranger. I mean, you, you need, we need each other. The biggest, most fatal mistake you'll ever make is if you start having problems as you quit church and you get away from God's people. Elijah prayed his prayer of suicide when he left his buddy behind every time you find somebody out alone you find them struggling and you find them weary and you find them hurting and you find them ready to quit in the pit and here's Jeremiah and all of the imps of hell were probably dancing around in that, in that dungeon and they were saying you're going to die and he's holding on and the quicksand's pulling him under and he's in the mire and he's sunk down and he's holding himself and, and, and maybe he's holding on to the rock and he's got a root around him to keep from drowning and, and they look down and, and he's just like man, and I mean Satan's like you're not going to make it, you've got no friends, Israel's turned its back on you, God's forgotten you and all this sudden he looks up and the cover's ripped off maybe it's a square of light maybe it's night maybe it's day I don't know but there's a square of light or a circle of light and all of a sudden he looks up and he sees Abimelech his friend his friend went to bat for him and his friend had 30 men with him and he said hey preacher (laughs) hey prophet hey man of God I'm coming to get you out of the pit man there's been a few times I've been so low been so discouraged there would be a friend that would walk into my life. Man, I, I, I don't know. Your, your preacher has your preacher's probably you know, never, n- never you know, done this. But, but, but I can tell you sometimes I've even had some really bad days when I had a good Sunday. Man, I'll, I'll go home from church on Sunday. It seems like on Sunday night, Brother Tony, the devil just like camps out at the bishop house. You, you probably don't have to worry about it because he's at my house. Him and like two thirds of the demons are all at my house. They're hanging out, and I'm not talking about my wife and kids either. They're camped out at my house because man, we had a good Sunday. But I'm telling you, all of a sudden something gets in. I start getting so discouraged, and I'm ready to throw in the towel. And I mean, we had people saved, we had people baptized. I mean, I mean, we had the, the building full. We had a great offering. We we beat budget, you know, all those kind of things. And all of a sudden, man, I'm just sitting there thinking, I, I'm just. A, and all of a sudden, I'll get a text. Hey, Pastor Mark, can I just tell you that this church has completely changed my life? You don't know how much those text messages mean. You don't know how much it means to your preacher and to your staff and and, and to people in this congregation. It doesn't even have to be the pastor. Maybe it's a deacon. Maybe it's your community group leader. Maybe it's somebody who just shook your hand and said, I'm praying for you. See, I, I understand Sometimes it's discouraging. I I, I know what it's like for what what some of you face. Uh, Tell me if your week goes something like this sometimes. You get up in the morning, you get your kids to school. It's Monday morning. They're all running late. If you have a teenage girl, God help you. And your teenage boys, like, you're you're just begging them to shower. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like they get up and I'm looking at my son Mason. He's 13. I'm like, hey, son, did you comb your hair? He's like, he said, yeah, I'm just kind of going natural. I was like, son, please. And I mean, he's, you know, he's rocking out of there, and, and, they're, and you drag him, you finally get him to school. Then you're on your way to work, you're running behind, you stop at Burger King, you get something to eat, of course that's going to give you indigestion, you're going to be belching all day at work. So you've eaten this food that tore you up, and then you get to work, and the boss is on you, and then your first client comes in, and they jump all over you, your first customer, and they're complaining about something, and the boss calls you in his office and knocks your head off because this client was complaining, and you're going home to pick your kids up from sports practice. Come on, if you've got teenagers, you know what I'm talking about. And you're at sport practice till 7 o'clock at night. For the love of Pete, let me go home. And so then you stop by, and you get some KFC, and if it didn't make you sick at Burger King, KFC's going to kill you. And you get some greasy chicken and you're on your way home and finally you get home and you sit down and it's nine o'clock before homework is done. And so finally the homework is done and you take a shower and you sit down and you turn on the TV just to relax a minute and, and what you ate for breakfast is going to kill you. It's got cancer in it. I mean, it's all this horrible stuff. And so you face that six days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Is How many of y'all feel like it's Groundhog Day sometimes? It's just like over and over and over and the stress and the pressure and the work. And, 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 and then you come into church and the preacher gets up and says, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Armageddon's coming and we're all going to die. I mean, you're just like, come on, preacher. Yeah, how many of you non-preacher people can say amen to that? man, it'll wear you out sometimes. I I try to be so cognizant, you know, of of not leading off with Armageddon's a-coming, but to lead off with something that can encourage us. You see, the devil is trying to get him to quit. He's got him in a dark place, a dirty place, a depressing place. He's in a place of despondency. He's in a discouraging place, but, 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 but his friend came and got him. I've preached some sermons that were so bad. They just didn't, I mean, I was excited in my office. But they were so bad, I felt bad cashing my check. I really did. In fact, there's been one or two that was so bad, I like ran out the back door and left Kim to shake hands with everybody. That doesn't go over well. You know, so you've already had this bad sermon, and my wife comes home and gives me something like this. Hey, Buster. Next time you lay an egg like that, don't leave me at the church to clean it up. Come on. I'm kidding. She's never done that. Although I have said, hey, what would you think of that sermon? She'd say, well, you certainly preached today. (laughs) Listen, and I think, man, I, I just, and I've been standing at the door, and all of a sudden that bubbly saint of God that's in our church comes bouncing by and grabs my hand says, Pastor Mark, just when I thought you couldn't preach a sermon any better, you preached this one this morning. That's the best message I've ever heard in my whole life. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if that's the best one I've got, we're all in trouble. And I find encouragement. I find help from the brethren. Don't do it alone. We're a family for a reason. You better stay close to God and you better stay close to the people God's put in your life. Number two, very quickly, there's hope in the book. There's not only help in the brethren, but there's hope in the book. In Jeremiah chapter number 20, if you remember the story, and we're not going to turn there for the sake of time. He said, I'm done. I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm finished. He said, I, I, I'm going to stay. I'm gonna, and then he said, but his word was like a fire that was shut up in my bones and I could not quit. Can I tell you that there is hope In the word of God When you think about quitting and you're in the pit You go to the word of God and you will find the help that you need It's crazy how people quit reading their Bible They get away from church, they quit the things they need most By the way, can I just tell you that I don't go to the doctor when I'm not sick I don't don't need my mechanic when my truck's running I don't need my attorney when I'm not getting sued Come on now Maybe you can relate to that. I don't know if you can or not. But I can tell you when I... What, 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 if you called, what if you called up your doctor and he said, Hey, you don't call me again and you don't set up an appointment till you're well. You'd be like, what in the world, doc? I need you when I'm sick. I'm glad that we can go to the Word of God when we are sick, when we are needy, when we are broken, when we are hurting. And God is there to meet that need. When we used to open... Our church, my dad was a pastor and we would have the, do any of you remember the old days of of when all the Sunday school, the kids and everybody started out in one big room together in the auditorium to start out Sunday school. How many of you remember that? Hold your hand up. And the Sunday school superintendent, I still don't even know what that is, but that's what we called him, would get up and you could tell when he was unprepared because he would just read our daily bread like word for word. And that was our lesson for the day in there before we went to our Sunday school classes. And he would get done and he would sit down and my dad would walk up and this is what we would do every Sunday. We would grab our Bibles and we would hold them up in the air. And we would sing this song. Well, I love my old Bible, precious old Bible. A light on my pathway, it shines. It makes me so happy. I'm always so happy that wonderful book is mine. And that's what we would sing. And then we would go to Sunday school. Can I tell you that that book does make me happy and it does a light on my pathway shine? I remember there was a commercial years ago that said, when you find yourself in trouble, go to the phone book and open your phone book and go to the yellow pages and let your fingers do the walking and you can find the help that you need. I can do better than that. When you find yourself in trouble, when you're ready to quit in the pit, go to the word of God and open your heart and let your heart do the walking and you will find the hope that you need. As I read the word of God, I'm telling you, I've been up on the mountain with Abraham and Isaac. I I, I mean, I've been on Noah. Uh, I've been on the boat with Noah uh, and the ark. I've been there with Abel at that first blood sacrifice. And I've been there with David as he was killing Goliath. And and, and Moses as he walked up to the burning bush and as the Ten Commandments were given to him. And I've been there with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den and Jeremiah at the potter's house. I've climbed up the ladder uh, with Jacob. And I've wrestled with the Lord as Jacob said I'm not going to let go till you bless me and I've been there with John the Baptist as he baptized Jesus and God said this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pretty pleased and I've been there with Peter as he denied the Lord And, and, and John as he laid on the breast of Jesus and Jesus as he slept in the boat and Peter as he walked on the water and failed I've been there at all those things as I get in the Bible and I find hope I find hope in the word of God this book is filled with hope. And what matters the most is not what you think, but it's what God thinks. You see, when we start trusting our feelings and we start trusting other things, we miss what really matters. God's word has the answer for us. The Bible is not God's word. Uh, 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 it's not man's word about God, but it's God's word about man and how we can live and have a happy life. Happy is that people that is in such a case. Yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. But there's, there's help in the brethren. And there's hope in the book, and I'm almost done. Number three, there's healing in the balm. Now, now there's been a few times that I found myself sick. And I found myself physically sick, maybe, or emotionally sick, or sometimes even spiritually sick. Turn in your Bibles over to Jeremiah chapter number 8. Turn your Bibles over to Jeremiah chapter 8. And I read this passage of scripture because here's what Jeremiah says. He says, man, you're going to get help from the brethren and you're going to get hope. I mean, he said he was done preaching, but there was a fire that came from the word of God. But then he said, some of you are sick. And why are you sick when there's healing available to you? Why are you sick when there's healing? It's just like Moses who lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. And Jesus who later said, if I be lifted up, I will draw him in unto me. If you'll just look, you can live. You don't have to walk to Jesus. You don't have to touch Jesus. You don't have to speak to Jesus. If you can just look to Jesus, you can find healing. Just look to him. So we find here that there were some that were sick. And so he makes this statement. And I, I asked my daddy, I said, Daddy, have you ever preached on this passage? He said, Nope. And I called several pastors, and they had never preached on it. So, Brother Tony, that made me feel good because that meant that I could just say whatever I wanted, and there was nobody else to correct it. So he says, in chapter number eight and verse number twenty, watch this. It says, "The harvest is past, and the summer is ended, and we're not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt? I am black. uh, Astonishment hath taken a hold of me. Is there no balm?" In Gilead? Is there no physician there? <laughs> then why is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? In other words, he said, some of you are sick. But you don't have to remain that way because there is a balm and there is healing for you. So I, I went to this thing and I thought, what is this balm of Gilead? I've, I've got I've to know what this means. And I believe the balm of Gilead is a picture, an Old Testament picture of Calvary. Calvary. You say, well, why would it be an Old Testament picture of Calvary? Let me give you just a couple things about it. First of all, at the balm of Gilead, that balm was a fruit that grew on a tree that could be crushed into a salve and could be put into a wound and would completely heal whatever the wound was. It had this healing property. But can I tell you that this balm of Gilead could only be found on a certain tree on a certain hill. Can I tell you that our healing from Jesus can only come from one place, a certain tree called Calvary that's located on a certain hill. In other words, he even said this, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The healing can only come through Calvary. Number two way that it's like Calvary, that balm of Gilead, is because everyone has access to the tree. In other words, the ground is level. The rich can come and get the balm of Gilead. The poor can come and get the balm of Gilead. The young can come and get the balm of Gilead. The old can come and get the balm of Gilead. Anybody can get to the balm. I'll never forget as a teenage boy when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, there was a song that so impacted me old song went something like this I stood before the Lord and a king stood by me and on the other side of vagabond. and as I knelt there to pray and as I called out to Jesus he knelt to hear every word the ground is level at the foot of the cross no man stands higher than I Can I tell you that it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, who you've disappointed, God is ready to heal your life today. You say, but I've let everybody down. That's all right. There's healing in the balm, the grounds level. Number three, everybody had access to the bomb. There was no fences. It was absolutely free. You could not charge for the balm of Gilead. All you had to do was get to the tree and get some for yourself. It didn't matter. You didn't have to pay for it. And can I tell you, your salvation, yes, it's free to you, but it cost Jesus everything. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. The balm of Gilead was so powerful that as soon as it touched you, it would start working. And I'm telling you, the power of the blood of Jesus, no matter what your life is like, as soon as it touches you, it will immediately begin to make a difference. And then lastly, there's no special way to take the balm. (laughs) I've heard people say you have to pray this prayer and you have to be in this room and you have to... Be at church, or you have to repeat these certain words. Can, can I tell you, none of that's true? In fact, salvation is not words, salvation happens in your heart. Too many people are putting their faith and trust in some words that they said at an altar, and I, I promise you, if that's your point of faith, then you've got a problem because my faith isn't in some words, my faith is in Jesus. And you say, But I messed up my sinner's prayer, it's quite all right. Jesus understands the balm will still heal. You see, the problem is we have been healed, but sometimes we don't act like we've been healed and we don't live in freedom like we should. I'm finished with this. I, I love Paul Harvey. In fact, when I was a kid growing up, my dad and I used to listen to Paul Harvey all the time. And if, if you're too young to know who Paul Harvey is, I'm sorry, you missed a great generation. Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Now, if Pastor Tony ever gets a hold of some Paul Harvey cassette tapes of the rest of the story, all my sermon illustrations, if I ever get invited back here, are all ruined because they're some of my favorite. Paul Harvey tells a story that a very wealthy Northeastern business owner owned a factory. Had one girl, and they had tried for many children, but they had one, and they doted on this girl. They loved her. She never broke her parents' heart the dad had a beautiful picture painted at her graduation, her senior year. She graduated from high school, New England state. And all of a sudden, one day she just ran away from home. No problems at home. Mom and dad, they weren't fighting. She wasn't rebellious. She just ran away from home. When she ran away, she joined up with a band of hippies that were going to Florida. So it it was obviously years ago during kind of the hippie movement, flower child movement. And So the dad, after a year or two of never hearing, he panicked, and he began to hire some private detectives to try to find his daughter. And, man, they were looking. They were looking for her. And they said, man, we're on her trail. We found out she's lived in Florida now for seven, eight, nine years, and then she moved to California. And after about 13 years, they said she's involved in a cult. She's gotten heavily involved in the Church of Satan. In fact, they called him one day, and they sent him this big report, and they said, we think that she went to the desert for this seance for this ritual and she was sacrificed and she's dead we found some remains out there but they're too too mutilated to tell who it is the dad and mom were christians and they never believed that she was dead they just didn't have this peace in their heart but every morning they would sit at the dinner table and and as paul harvey told it they would look at that picture of their daughter and they would pray lord if she's alive will you bring her home will you bring her back here's what happened and i'm done in the middle of the night he gets this call Broken voice on the other end of the line. Daddy, Daddy, is that you? He said, yeah. Honey, is that you? It's been so long. She said, Daddy, I just want to come home. I've been so bad. I've done so many things. Will you take me back? He said, baby, I'll take you back. It doesn't matter what you've done. I'll buy a plane. I'll, I'll charter a private jet. I'll bring you home immediately. She said, Daddy, I'm so messed up. I've been involved in drugs and so many things. I just don't want you to see me right now. Daddy, get, get, me, get me a berth on a train. Get me a train ticket and give me a, a, a couple days to get home just give me a couple days and then I want to see you a mama. He rented her almost a whole car, like a, a, a suite on this train where it had like a shower and a bed and a bedroom and everything for her to come home. And she got on that train and she was coming back from California and the family, they called all the family. They said she was coming home and he was so excited in the morning she was supposed to get home at like nine in the morning at two or three o'clock in the morning the parents were up all night so it didn't wake them when a knock came to the door and they thought maybe she'd come in early and he ran to the door And, and it was a state trooper standing there and he said i'm so sorry but there was a train derailment in west virginia and your daughter was killed is this her and they had a picture he said yes so they had the funeral the tombstone, Paul Harvey said, was four feet tall and eight foot long. And if you, if you walked up to the tombstone from the head of the grave, it had a picture of her engraved into the tombstone. And, and it said how much they loved her. And it had like a poem and mom and dad and when she was born and when she died. But if you walked up from the foot of the grave, Paul Harvey said that in four foot tall letters, eight feet long was the word forgiven. Forgiven. And they asked him, they said, sir, Why? Why did you put such a large tombstone for your daughter that said, forgiven? He said, because here's what I know. People are going to come stand at the foot of her grave and remember all the mistakes and all the pain that she caused us. But I want them to remember one thing more than the mistakes and the pain. I want them to remember that she was forgiven. And when the devil stands at the foot of your mistakes... And at the foot of your failures, and he's saying, just quit, just quit. It'll be easier. I heard it in the army. Just quit, Mark. If you'll just ring the bell, we'll have you in a bed. We'll have you in a shower. We'll give you food. Just quit. It'll be so easy. And when Satan tells you that, you just remind him that you're not his, but you're his. And you were bought with a price and you have been forgiven. You're a child of the king. Don't quit in the pit. Some of you are facing things in your lives right now. Maybe it's financial crisis. Maybe it's physical. Maybe you've got a a marriage problem, uh, a a problem in your marriage or your family. Maybe one of your kids have disappointed you and you think, I'm such a failure as a parent because I've made mistakes. Get in line. We've all made mistakes. But it doesn't mean God's done with you. And it doesn't mean that God's done with your child. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Maybe you need to get on an altar today and say, Lord, don't let me quit. I'm in the pit, but you don't have to quit because you've got brethren that are ready to help you. You've got a book where you can find hope and you've got a balm where there is healing.